Nine Boys Golf Show. All about golf, from putting to driving, from hooks to whatever. Now, here's your host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, Rich Styles. And a good morning to you. Welcome to the show. The Back Nine Boys Golf Podcast is brought to you by Mizuno Golf, Reach Beyond, by Club Car, the leader in sport, utility, and professional and personal vehicles, by RSM, proud sponsor of the RSM Classic, giving back to our community. By Bridgestone Golf, get fitted for your Tour B ball today. And by the club at Seapalms. On the show, we're going to talk with Tom Marsloff of Fazio Design about his work at Bonita Bay's Club Cypress Course in Naples, plus their work at Augusta National. Then we'll talk with Tad Fuchikara, who qualified for the U.S. Open when he was 15 years old. Played on the PGA Tour for quite a while, and now is the pickleball pro at Sea Island. We talked about the transition from pro golf to pickleball. Then we'll talk with Richard Adams of the GSGA about the new rules that are going into effect this year and maybe about some we all would like to change, but probably can't. First off, though, is my talk with Tad Fuchikara. I asked Tad about qualifying for the U.S. Open. Um, actually, I was 15 when I qualified for the U.S. Open, but um, it, it was just totally unexpected. Um, I did not, I didn't have any expectations to do that. Um, you know, obviously I made it through locals and then I made it through sectionals and that was the last year they had sectionals in Hawaii. Um, so it was a pretty small field. We played for one spot and I just had two really good rounds and, um, you know, I, I, I'd qualified and that was my first, um, USGA event ever. So out of all of them. So, uh, it was, it was really, um, sort of a culture shock. I didn't really know what to expect. And, um, obviously, you know, me being, um, the youngest to, to play in the U S open at the time, um, you know, that brought me a lot of media attention. So, um, but I mean, it, it was a great experience. The course was obviously so hard. And, uh, you know, I think that that actually helped me a lot um, to number one, be able to know where I want to get to and um, also give me, you know, sort of an idea of where my game needed to be to compete at that level. But that also got you into some tournaments that you probably would not have been able to get into otherwise. And golf really at that point became your goal and your mission in life. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, through being the youngest, um, you know, to play at the U.S. Open and then, uh, you know, six months later, um, you know, making the cut at the Sony Open in Hawaii, um, you know, through those, uh, you know, accomplishments, I had so many opportunities to not only travel the world, but, um, you know, play at all these amazing um, tournaments and uh, meet so many great people. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it was something that I, I loved, I, I enjoyed doing, um, you know, obviously being out there at such a young age um, and, and sort of living the dream, um, you know, it was, it was really special and it's something I will, you know, never forget. But living your dream then and golf becoming such a major part of your life and your mission and your passion at that point, uh, when did it begin to not be a passion for you? Um, you know, I think I think the first few years, so uh, when I was still living in Hawaii um, up, in, up until about 2010, 2011, um, you know, I was still, you know, enjoying golf very much and um it was something that i you know had had really big goals for um and then 
in 20, probably ending part of 2011, I started um, kind of struggling with my game. Uh, I lost, kind of lost my ball striking and um, went through a lot of uh, mental health issues and um, just a lot of stuff um, while trying to play golf. And that's where it became, um, you know, a little bit more of a chore. And I, I didn't really enjoy it, obviously, you know. Number one, losing my game and not playing good golf is is difficult in itself. But um, you know, just just having to deal with everything and, and not having an outlet um, was was difficult for me. And uh, so around that time was when I started kind of struggling um, with with my game and and deciding whether I should continue doing this or not. And um, you know, obviously, I, I did continue through the next few years and I, I you know had some highlights here and there I've I you know I had a little bit of success and I found sort of found my way back a little bit um, not to the success that I had prior but um, you know I, I was starting to enjoy the game again um, you know around 2016 ish and, um, and and I started finding my identity um, you know not only in golf but outside of that which which I think helped you know that just right. having the balance right and um, you know I, that's when I, I started uh, really you know trying to enjoy being out there more so than um, just grinding and, and thinking about my results you know and, and really trying to go back to how I used to play as a kid and, and enjoy the game and have fun and and um, you know I, I started doing that better and and i felt like i was in a pretty good place mentally so um you know it was nice being able to get through all the the rough part of it and then um you know and then kind of uh finding my way back in a way yeah but balance is such a big part of professional sports golf even more so because it is such a mental game more so than a lot of people think and not having the passion or your balance in your life at that point can throw off both your game and your life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I put so much emphasis on golf and, you know, when I was younger, obviously it was all about golf and, and I turned pro and, and at a, you know, fairly young age sure. and, and golf was like everything that I lived for. So when I kind of lost that, you know, in 2011, 2012, um, it was difficult because at that point I didn't know what else to live for. I, I didn't really have anything else, you know. So trying to find that balance where, um, yes, golf is very important and that's, you know, my job, that's what I do, but it's not also everything that I live for. Right. Um, and trying to find, you know, the best way to process that was, was tricky. Um, but then once I did, uh, you know, I found that, hey, you know, I can still take golf very seriously and and put my best effort into it but that can also not be the only thing that i do you know and, right. and um life became a lot more enjoyable when i started figuring that out all right so you're at that point where you're kind of deciding is golf really where i want to continue it's been my whole life and what happened then um, so, you know, obviously I, I continued playing golf, um, competitively. That was probably 2016 ish, 2017. Um, so I played for, you know, through four more years. Um, I played until the end of 2021 and, um, you know, I, I started playing better golf and, uh, I had, you know, obviously plans to continue playing and, and, um, but, uh, 
I finished, so I finished Q school in 2021 and I had missed second stage by one shot. And uh, mm. a week later, my now boss um, offered me the job as the pickleball pro at Sea Island. Um, and I initially I turned him down because um, I was uh, still playing golf full time. So sure. I didn't plan to do the pickleball thing at all. Um, but uh, my parents kind of talked me into it and said, hey, you know, maybe try it and see see how you like it. And um, so I kind of gave it a shot. And it's been very very enjoyable um i love it it's it's really fun being able to not only help people but interact and make you know good connections and obviously i've met so many amazing people through pickleball as well so um so yeah it's been great um but the pickleball thing was not in the in the books um <laughs> were you playing when you were playing golf i had picked it up at the big uh, march of 2021 okay um, okay Prior to that, I had started playing tennis, and I was playing quite a bit of tennis. That was my sort of um, getaway from golf, you know, um, just as, uh, you know, my outlet. Right, um, right. And then, then I started playing pickleball, and then I stopped playing tennis. So um, so pickleball sort of replaced the tennis, and then, um, but uh, yeah, pickleball has been, it's been great. It's been super fun, and um, yeah, I love it. All right, pickleball. A lot of golfers are playing pickleball. Again, as a release, trying to get some balance, get some other exercise and a sport in. Uh, it's become extremely popular. Sea Island's built more courts. A lot of other places have built more courts. Um, what is the big attraction of pickleball? To me, I would be a great pickleball player if it wasn't for the lines and the net. Right, right. <laughs> um, you know, pickleball is... Um it's somewhat of a mix between tennis and ping pong. Um, and, you know, obviously it's, it's played like tennis where you have a net and you're playing on a court, um, but it's a smaller court. And I think that's, that's a big draw for it. Um, also, the fact that uh, the ball does not bounce very high and the paddle is short. Um, so it makes it easier to pick up as far as eye-hand coordination. Um, and then... You know, the other part is the social aspect of it. Um, so, you know, it's it's easier to find a game. You know, you can play with people of different levels and still enjoy right. playing together. There's not a lot of sports like that. You know, it's like it's like for, for golf. You know, if you take a, a pro golfer, a scratch golfer, and you play with a 25 handicapper, it's not going to be quite as enjoyable because, you know, one person's hitting it in the woods all day and then the other one's hitting it right down the middle. Right. So, um you know, it's it's uh, it's it's tricky because there's not a lot of sports, you know, like that where, you know, you can be a different level. Like I can be, you know, a very high level pickleball player and you can be a beginner and we can still enjoy playing together. Um, and I think that's a big draw um, with the game as well. And, you know, you can do it as a family. Uh, younger kids can do it. Older generation can do it and, and still have a good game. So I think um, just a lot of things put together and, and obviously just the growth of the sport. It's been um, pretty incredible. Pretty incredible is correct. Uh, in fact, there is an area down at the PGA show beyond the apparel section at the PGA show in Orlando, which we'll be going to in a couple of weeks, that is strictly all pickleball. That was Tad Fujikara, former golf pro, now pickleball pro at Sea Island. Coming up next, Richard Adams talking about the new rules that are in effect. He's with the uh, Georgia State Golf Association. If, are you looking for some new irons, some new clubs for this year? We'll try out and check out MizunoGolf.com. Uh, check everything out. They're all introducing some new uh, clubs, 
drivers, irons, hybrids at the PGA show, which we'll see in a couple of weeks. Uh, but go to their website, MizunoGolf.com, and check out everything about Mizuno Golf. The best irons I've played, Mizuno Golf, reach beyond. Hi, I'm Bill Jones, founder of Ocean Forest Golf Club. Welcome to Back Nine Boys Golf Show. And welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles. You know, there are some new rules of golf for this year. Um, some of us probably don't care, but uh, we want to discuss those rules with Richard Adams, the rules official for the Georgia State Golf Association. Good morning, Richard, and welcome to the Back Nine Boys Golf Podcast. Good morning, Rich. Thanks for having me on this morning. It's always a pleasure. Uh, so the rules change every four years. Uh, so I hate to ask, but what's new this year? Yeah, so like you said, um, the USGA and the RNA work together to govern and create the rules, and they, they basically come out with updates every four years to kind of keep up with how the modern game is played. And in 2019, as you probably remember, there were some pretty big changes. Uh, this year, not quite as many, uh, but there are some things that I think players in Georgia and around the country need to be aware of. Okay. One of the biggest ones uh, is previous to this year, there were only 24 rules in the book. Now we have a 25th rule, and that's what's going to cover essentially um, rules that are going to modify the procedure, or a rule that modifies the procedures for people with disabilities okay. who still want to play golf. Uh, this affects, you know, this is a growing competitive sector. Uh, across the country, we have an adaptive open, and a lot of other people are, are starting to have competitions like that. But mm -hmm. people with disabilities want to play more golf, and this is a great way to uh, kind of include them in the game and include them in the rules. It used to be you had to use it through a local rule. You had to put that into effect. But now it's just found in the rule book with the uh, the 25th rule. Okay, gotcha. All right. And uh, there's another one that you talked about uh, when you sent me some information. Handicaps do not have to be listed on the score anymore. How come? Yeah, so I think this, this would apply to anybody that plays in a net competition at their club or okay. uh, on a broader scale. But uh, this was kind of an antiquated rule where uh, previous to this year, uh, if you were playing in a net event, your handicap had to be listed on the scorecard. Or if you were playing in a match, it had to be your opponent had to be aware of it. And kind of with the growth of technology in our world and in our game, that this didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Before this year, if you didn't have your handicap listed on your card, you were disqualified, which seems a little harsh, and that's what the yeah. USGA and the RNA thought. So they've just gotten rid of this. And now, you know, if I'm playing you in a tournament for, with net, I can just look up your handicap on my phone. So okay. kind of where that was, and, and now that penalty doesn't exist anymore, which I think makes a lot of sense. Okay, here's something that happens a lot um, on golf courses is that when somebody drive, you know, comes up and they see that they're getting eight shots and they say, well, those are from the silver tees, and what if I want to play the white tees? And does the change normally take two to three strokes added on, or does that depend on the course, the course rating, and the slope factor? Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. So it will probably change kind of depends on a lot of factors, but it, it does depend on the course rating, how much yardage you're gaining or losing. Okay. Uh, and then typically, you know, the, 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 the club pro can probably make that calculation. Or if you know in advance, that's something that um, people in our, in our course rating 
department can could handle for you as well when clubs right. have big events and they want to have players playing from different tees we can we can help with those changes but that's something that like you said it would uh a lot of factors go into the course rating but that's how that would be determined on okay. how many strokes you're getting depending on what tees you're playing okay yeah it's usually between two and three except i, I heard one guy say that it was almost five strokes and that just seemed way yeah, way that, too high like a, the the course rating it, it kind of depends like you said how how much more or less yeah. challenging the tees are how much more yardage you're gaining okay. um and if it's that many strokes it's probably he went played a lot longer or shorter of a course depending on if the if he got more or fewer strokes gotcha okay and then another of the, of the rules if a club is damaged during a round you can now replace it as long as it wasn't done through the abuse breaking it over your knee or hitting a tree by the player. Exactly right. So this could definitely happen. Um, clubs are built pretty well, but every once in a while they may break if, you know, you're hitting a shot near like a, a root or your shaft breaks or, or something. There's an issue with your club just through normal play. Right. Now if that happens during a round, you can replace it. When they came out with the, to- the changes in 2019, that was not the case. So they thought that as long as you didn't do it through anger, if you're not slamming your club into the ground and it breaks, if you have another club, you should be able to replace it. So that's what that rule now allows you to do. Okay, but usually not a lot of people carry a lot of extra clubs in their car. I do, but, I mean, a lot of people don't. And so you have to wait until either in between holes or somebody goes and gets it for you? I mean, Right, yeah. Right, so you, okay. can't, you can't delay play, so okay, I can't got, own got the hole if that happens. I can't go yeah. run to the parking lot real fast. <laughs> yeah, I can but just... If you have a club in my trunk, as we make the turn, I can swap it. Okay. Or if, as, as long as, you know, the club, once you start with the club, it is, it's always conforming. So um, you can still play with the damaged club, but if you have another club, you can replace it as well. Okay, all right. And what is the rule about a caddy or a player standing directly behind the player? Has yeah, that changed? So this is an, kind of an interesting thing that happens now. Is As we talked about in the beginning, the rules get clarified and updated every four years, but it used to be that that, that was kind of the only time they were changed. And now the USGA and the RNA meet basically quarterly and come out with clarifications. And in 2019, okay. rule kind of got some uh, notoriety because it was happening on tour where I'm the player and my caddy is standing directly behind me. And once I take my stance, the old rule said that that was a penalty no matter what I did. And now this rule has been clarified. So if I'm playing with my partner or if I have a caddy and they're there and they're lining me up, if I, as long as I don't play the stroke, I can kind of back out of my stance and then start over with that person not behind me, and then it's not a penalty. So that's just something, especially if you're playing, you know, a team event, you want to be aware of that right. you can't be standing on an extension of your, or your partner can't be standing on an extension of your line. Right. And if that were to happen, just get just kind of back away from the ball, get that person away from you, and then start over, and then there would not be a penalty. So that's that's kind of what happens a lot with these clarifications is they happen on professional tours and the, the USGA sees, well, this isn't quite how we intended this rule to be interpreted. Right. So they can now clarify that and that's what they've done. Okay. Yeah. Cause I usually used to see it on TV more with the lady golfers, the LPGA than with the uh, PGA tour is that a lot of the caddies would stand behind them while they're putting or something and say, yeah, you're lined up right. 
and kind of just stay exactly there. Exactly right. And that's what yeah. they wanted. That's the, why the rule was changed in okay. 2019 is okay. they wanted to get, they, they think that, you know, lining up is a skill. Right. But also, if you do something, it, it, they, you know, they didn't want you to be stuck even before you played the stroke. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Richard, this is a tough one. What are some of the rules or what is the one rule that you think is the most abused by players? <laughs> That's a good question. I would say in everyday golf, um, just the, the fact of, of if you hit your ball out of bounds, what do you do? Uh, and there's an interesting local rule that people can use that I'll talk about in a minute. But the, what I would say is, you know, if a player hits a ball out of bounds or they lose a ball, right. they're only, the only way that they can legally get a ball back into play is to take the stroke and distance penalty, which is to go back from where you last played. Obviously, that's not always realistic. If I'm not playing in a tournament, I, I need to keep up with play. A lot of times people just throw a ball down and say, oh, this is probably where it was. Technically, as the rules are written, that's not legal, but you know, I understand that that's more realistic in just everyday play. But I would say that's probably the most abused rule. But what I mentioned a minute ago is the USGA did allow, and a lot of courses in Georgia and I think across the country are using this, a local rule not intended for competition, but if you hit one out of bounds or you lose it, you can estimate where it what it would have been, and then you drop a ball kind of within – there's a corridor that's kind of hard to explain, but you can drop a ball near that point for right. a two-stroke penalty, and it just saves time so you don't have to go all the way back to the tee. Okay, gotcha. Okay. And what is the rule um, that you would like to have that is currently not in? <laughs> that's a tough one. Uh, I would say one – maybe the most complex – Part of the rules, in my opinion, is when to drop, when to place, when to you know when to drop again, and that I think that's rule 14 now, and it's extremely complicated. I would love there is just to eliminate dropping. So it, as long if you're getting the ball back into play, we just place it on the ground. So if you if you hit in a penalty area, you find your spot and you place it, and then you don't have to worry about. What okay, gotcha. Kind of, we broke up there just a little bit. Um, but, you know, one of the ones that I think is totally unfair, but I, I also understand why it's there, is the divot rule where the ball is landing on a perfect drive in a divot. You got to play it. I, I hear you there. And believe me, you're not the only person to say it. <laughs> I, it it's, it, it's one of the more disheartening things when you hit a. You, I don't hit too many in the fairway, and when uh, I do, yeah. and it's in a. It's in a. But that's tough but it's also yeah. part of what i like about golf and i and i will say sometimes you know you hit the ball in the rough and you get a perfect lie you hit a tree and it pops in the fairway so i think yeah. ten, they, those things tend to even out but i do agree with you that hitting into a divot is is uh is a tough thing to see especially when you hit one just the way you wanted to all right i was at the jones cup last weekend and they had two or three incidents where the ball was stuck in a tree what is the rule <laughs> i heard about that so uh, if you, if you, what you have to know that you have to basically see that the ball is in the tree. You still have to identify it, but if you can't play it, which most likely you can't, you are allowed to take an unplayable. And what you would do is you you basically see where the ball is in the tree, and you can put the ball straight down to the ground, and that's a one-stroke penalty. And then you have all the unplayable options from that point. So you go straight down, and then you can take your two club lengths from the ground, or you can go on the line and drop there, or you have the stroke and distance penalty gotcha. as well. But you do, the, I think one person I'd heard hit it 
they they thought it was lost in the tree, but they they couldn't see the ball, so they weren't able to use that rule because right. they weren't able to identify where it was in the tree. But that's yeah. that's what you would do there if you saw your ball sitting up in a tree, but you couldn't play it. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, Richard, thank you for all those updates and uh, trying to end the frustration on rules. I appreciate your honesty, um, and uh, I thank you for being with us as always. Yeah, thanks, Rich. Good talking to you. All right, take care. Richard at Adams with the GSGA talking about the rule changes for this year and some of the rules just had some questions about. Uh, next up is Tom Marsloff of Fazio Design. We're going to hear more about what they've done down at Bonita Bay and all across the country uh, and also maybe what they did at Augusta National that he can talk about. We'll be back on the Back Nine Boys Golf Show right after this. Hi, this is Davis Love III, and you're listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. And welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles, and our next guest is Tom Marsloff with Fazio Design. Uh, Tom and I met down in Naples a couple of weeks ago. Uh, in fact, he is starting his 40th year with Tom. Good morning, Tom, and welcome to the Back Nine Boys podcast. Good morning, Rich. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you this morning. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, and as I said, you and I met in Naples at Bonita Bay. Uh, tell our listeners all the things which I found a lot of the things you did very interesting uh, at the Cypress course at the Bonita Bay Club. Well, thank you, Rich. Uh, Bonita Bay Club, Southwest Florida, Naples, uh, five golf courses that the club has there. They have a main campus close to the Gulf with three Art Hills golf courses that started in back in 1985. And Tom Fazio was asked to help the club build a new facility uh, a little bit inland, east, um, down Immokalee Road off I-75, and we did two golf courses for the club, uh, the Cypress and the Sable. The Cypress opened in 1996 and the Sable in 1998, and a lot of time since then, Rich, so we uh, were invited back by the club. It was time to replace some of the infrastructure at the club as things age out and life cycle over time, and so we had the opportunity to come back and help Anita Bay Club with the focus on the Cypress of rebuilding the golf course to a, a new design and improving the golf course uh, with the changes in the game and the ball in the club. So we formed a member committee in 2019, 2019 master planning committee, member group, um, led uh, with a great team of members from the golf and green committee, the ladies 18-hole, nine-hole groups were a part of that, and we had an opportunity to walk the golf course and study it and listen to the membership of, of what they needed, what they wanted the golf course to be. So that led to the construction project of rebuilding the Cypress. We started the work in the summer, September of 2021, with uh, Glaze Golf Construction, a local Naples golf course builder, and Nut Irrigation. And six brand-new lakes, digging soil out of the ground to lift the golf course higher and you know, to make a drier golf course. We basically right. raised the golf right. course, Rich, 12 to 18 inches everywhere, um, and that in an effort to just faster, firmer conditioning. Um, that was the biggest move. I think brand-new drainage system installed, 450 catch basins. Wow. And uh, brand-new greens, brand-new bunkers, you know, brand new cart paths, um, you know, extensive project uh, for the club, big undertaking and, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of fun, uh, great experience in my life to be back again, to build a golf course for the second time. Yeah. And uh, 
an opportunity to uh, freshen up the golf course with the changes in the game. Well, one of the things that I found most interesting, and I'm, I, I don't know if other designers do that, but what you did is you went with your group, the, the members, the ladies, the guys, the, the green committee, and you actually stood on the tees of each hole and you said you asked them what do you like and what don't you like about this hole, which helped you in what you were eventually going to complete for them. Yeah, thank you, Rich. That's a that's a great part of master planning that yeah. we try to do for clubs. And I like that. You know, they know the golf course. It's they're playing it every day. We built it, but you know, how's the golf course performing for you? So, I think some of the things that came out of that process was um, the need for some more forward tees. I think one of the greatest hmm. things in golf, Rich, is that you know everybody's living longer. They're, people are in good health and playing the game into their eighties and and so that's a great thing. We're trying to allow people to enjoy the golf course in a different way. So we built tees at 4,500 yards and 5,000 yards. So the two new forward tees were added, and that was a direct outcome of just walking the golf and, right. and listening to the members. Right. And that was also the first time that you've done a golf course where there's 3,000 yards between the front tees and the back tees. Yes, what a unique opportunity. You know, just shows you how the game is being stretched in both directions. We added back tees, Rich, and took the golf course back to 7,500 yards at sea level. Um, that's a lot of golf. That's yeah. a very long golf course. Uh, yeah. You know, flat Florida conditions and close to sea level, that's a long golf course. Yeah, it is. Um, and then, you know, trying to allow a 500-yard increment on the scorecard so you can look at the card and you, have, you can move up 500 yards in increments from 7,500 right. all the way to 4,500. That's unique. We've never done that at, at Fazio Design. Uh, so that was nice that the club kind of led us in that direction. It allows the golf course to be flexible so everybody can find a place to play the golf course the way they'd like to. Tom, when you consider changing a golf course and kind of restructuring it or refreshing it, does the wind direction when you're standing on the tee, does that take into effect any condition as far as designing that particular hole? I mean, where the wind comes from, knowing that it can change at any moment? Well, it's amazing. That's a great question. Uh, you know, South Florida, near the water, windy conditions. Yeah. There is a predominant breeze during the season, um, and so you definitely design the golf course around that. And, and knowing that you are going to play in the wind a little bit and you know the general direction of the wind, it, it, it affects the, the size of the hole location on the green, making sure there's enough room to get the ball to a hole location, landing with the wind. And so we definitely think about that and then try to, uh, as we you know, route through the golf course and you're changing direction. You've got holes going north and south and east and west and on the bias. And so you're always thinking about the wind. Um, it, it's a big part of the game yeah. and, and it affects our scorecards each and every yeah. day playing, Rich. It does. And one of the things that I also noticed, there are some designers um, that really want you to hit the ball high to get over and put it on the green. There's a lot of them that have areas where as we get older, we don't hit it as high, and we want to have the opportunity to hit that low ball or stinger, whatever you want to call it, and run it into the greens. Um, when you were doing the front tees, for those of us that get older, was that taken into effect in your redesign? 
Yes, definitely. I, you know, a golf course is all about the condition and the firmness of the ground to be able to hit those low running shots and, and have access to bounce the ball in, into the green. Gotcha. So, again, going back to regrading the golf course, lifting <laughs> it up higher, drier golf course, pipe everywhere. We installed drainage pipe, French drains, perforated pipe in a gravel trench with greens mix on the top of the gravel to cover it all over the place. It, it, this golf course may be the most pipe that's ever been installed in the state of Florida. I think hmm. that's safe to say with the amount of pipe that went into this. So yeah. that what does that do, Rich? That gives us dry conditions. There's a place for the water to go. There's pipe in the ground pulling the moisture out of the soil so that we can have firmness and we can roll the ball. I think that's the feature of this golf course. The new Cypress course was built firm and fast to deliver those kind of conditions each and every day, and especially around the greens. And the approaches to the green, as you mentioned, you're trying to hit that lower shot in there, Rich, and bounce the ball up to the green. A lot of the greens are open where you do have access to the front of the green. And that area where you'd land your ball, we removed the soil, we put in pipes in the subgrade, and we put greens mix. The same exact sandy greens mix that's on the green is in the approach left of the green, right of the green. So a very unique golf course with an emphasis on short game and shots around the green yeah giving the players uh older younger whatever whatever tees they're playing from more opportunity to to do what they can do um on a golf course i mean trying to get the ball up on the green and running up or however they can get it there yes sir exactly and uh, we also shaped in left and right of the greens these collection areas or a low mo shaved down turf swale, if you will, that kind of holds the ball closer to the green. When you miss the green, it trickles down the slope into a swale. There's a backstop contour on the outside rim that holds that ball near the green, and then it rolls around on low-cut turf. So the ball ends up on a tight lie that the uniqueness of Cypress, and I think this is what people are going to talk about when they get a chance to see Bonita Bay Cypress, is these shaved-down collection areas where you're around the green and as a as a player, you've got every shot from pulling the putter and, and rolling the ball up the slot slope to a firm slope to bounce the ball into and release the ball to a pin. So a lot of shot options around the green, uh, more like an Australian golf course or similar to what you'd see, say, Royal Melbourne type of mowing pattern where we have collar height turf around the green, out to the bunker, through the swale, very unique. Uh, Americans don't get a chance to play this style of golf very much, and I think no. that's what you're going to notice about Cypress. Yeah, that's one of the things that I did notice, and it was refreshing, honestly. Um, I do want to ask you some more questions about Cypress uh, and design, why you did what you did. But we got to take a quick break. Stay with us. We're with Tom Marsloff of Fazio Design. We'll be back with more on the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Hi, this is Robert Gomez, PGA Tour golfer, and you are listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. And welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles. Thanks for being with us. Uh, we're with Tom Marsloff of Fazio Design. And Tom, one of the things that seems to be a trend is that uh, golf courses are decreasing the number of bunkers and making them a little bit easier to get out of. And, did, and you did that at Cyprus. Is that the new trend that's coming out? Yeah, I'd, I'd say you're right, Rich. I think you know, the 
golf is a strategic game and you're standing on the tree and aiming a shot and and the game has evolved over the years as the equipment changed the club and the ball changes um now we're at a point where you know we our landing area our target where the ball hits off the tee is such is stretched out because we have players that can fly the ball 320 in the air 340 in the air even and and the rest of us playing the game you know just trying to move the ball down the hole. So yeah. that landing area, that positioning of the landing area got long to where you'd have to, to think about bunkering from 350 all the way back to, say, 160, 180 off the tee. So, you know, how do you put the bunker in the right spot when you're trying to cover almost 200 yards of a landing area depending right. on who's playing the golf hole? So right. trend is put the bunker in the strategic location that directs the line of play and then this tee options, seven tees on this golf course, 500 yards apart, that allow you to play the golf course to where the strategy is still in place for you and the bunker is still relevant. So where less bunkers is a trend because of the cost of maintenance. I think one of the gotcha. most expensive parts of maintaining the golf course is raking the sand and prepping that sand yeah. every day. And, you know, again, we as Americans, we like the sand to be perfect and we want a perfect lie. We don't want them really to be hazards. So yeah. it's a lot to take care of. And so your strategic placement of the bunkers is, is the key today, Rich. Yeah. Gotcha. And they keep going farther out, uh, not necessarily farther in to uh, kind of uh, penalize in a way those long hitters that are trying to hit it over the traps. Um, I don't usually have a problem hitting off the tee and hitting into a bunker because they're too far away. Well, the game has, has evolved to that, and with the modern player and the yeah. carry point, you know, we really try to focus on from the back tee when you're designing, say, a tournament golf course experience. Right. You want to right. cover the landing area where the carry point, where the ball in the air, where does the ball for those players strike the ground, and where does it roll out to? So today... You know, driving distances have changed so much in our lifetime, Rich. I, I, it's basically, I've been doing this 40 years, and it's like a yard a year has been the change to the game. Wow. When, when Tom Fazio and I were starting earlier in our lives building golf courses, we would try to bunker around 800 feet off the tee or 266 yards. And, and now we're putting that landing area turning point stake when we build a golf hole. We're putting it 1,000 feet off the tee. So that's a huge change. Yeah, it is. Tom, can you talk about the work that you and Tom did at uh, Augusta National? Wow. Um, You know, Tom has been fortunate in his career to, you know, help a lot of clubs and, and, you know, God bless uh, Augusta National for allowing us to be a a part of all that. Rich, it's kind of a sensitive subject in the club. I know. Um, uh, the club asks us to not really speak to that. It's all about Augusta National. It's all about the the championship and the and the membership. Um, and we're we're um, you know thank you for bringing it up. And it's a, a great experience in all of our lives. But it's something that we're generally you know try to avoid speaking to yeah. because it's not about us, Rich. It's not about us at all. It's about you know Bob Jones and the history of the Masters and. Yeah. What a great club, uh, and, and the role that they're doing to help the, the, with the Augusta Women's Amateur Championship and the Drive Chip and Putt Show and the Latin Amateur that's going on right now. Augusta's, uh, you know, a leading 
force in the game and it's all about the club and the history and the traditions and, and it shouldn't be about us rich sorry that's okay that's understandable i mean everything that comes out of augusta usually is by augusta usually not anybody else but i appreciate you um i guess uh doing the political answer and i appreciate that very much uh, but the fact is that you did the work and that's got to be thrilling for y'all gosh a lot of great experiences there you know, we're, we're so fortunate. You learn a lot. You yep. learn a lot in your life. And it's one of my favorite golf courses. And we're all excited for the major season to start and coming back to Augusta. And we're looking forward to that this year. And um, it, it, it's such a strategic golf course. Alistair McKenzie is one of my favorite golf course architects. I think you, mm. what you learn from Augusta is the shapes of the greens, the angles yeah. of the greens, the, the lobes of the green, the pin areas that require – different shots and different drive locations as the hole moves around from day to day. We all know the, the tournament hole locations on Sunday, and we look forward to all that. And yeah. What a unique golf course that has greens and slopes and pitches that set up hole locations and change how each and every hole plays. Yeah, and a lot of people don't know, um, if they've gone, they know, that it is a very hilly and not a lot of even lies, even if you're in the middle of the fairway. All day long, your ball is you know side hill, downhill. You've got to be a great ball striker to, to move the ball around the course. And I think that's what you notice the first time that you ever in your life you know get an opportunity as a, to to a, attend the Masters and walk the golf course. So it is a lot of contour out there, and it doesn't show up on television. The TV kind of flattens no, that all out. You're right. I think a lot of people saw really more of Augusta uh, during uh, COVID. Uh, during that pandemic uh, than they did uh, at any other year because there were no people there. They could really see the golf course. And I thought that was most interesting uh, as far as having it being played and seeing it on television. You really saw more. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Without the gallery kind of blocking the views to exactly. the edges. Exactly, um, right. But, uh, you know, what an exciting time, right? 2019, Tiger Woods returns and, and wins a an amazing uh, event and it brought a lot of attention to to tiger and the masters and then and then COVID hits and uh you know what a change to the game and what we've all been through the last couple of years with COVID. and it's great to be back it's a social game and it's great to be back together and enjoying it looking forward to the event this year i've got about 30 seconds to ask you does it seem like you have worked with tom and does it seem like it's been 40 years Oh, God bless Tom Fazio, the nicest, sharpest man in the game. Uh, what a mind Tom Fazio has and what a career he's had. And, and you know, it was a goal in my life as a young student learning the game and preparing for a career to, to work for George Fazio and Tom Fazio. And God bless Tom for giving me every opportunity. And all I can say is, uh, you know, well, the greatest mind in golf and one of the nicest people you'll ever meet in your life and super talented golf yep, architect. And what a career Tom has had. I agree. Tom, thank you for being with us. It was a pleasure to meet you. Pleasure to play behind you at Cyprus. Uh, have a great day. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. You take care, buddy. All right, you too. Tom Marsloff of Fazio Design talking about their work down at Bonita Bay down in uh, Naples and Bonita Springs. Thanks for being with us on the Back Nine Boys Golf Podcast. You've been listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show with Rich Styles. Go to backnineboys.com for all things golf whenever you want it. We'll be back next week with an all new Back Nine Boys at backnineboys.com.